The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. Good morning, Bereans. Appreciate you being here today. Let me let me explain to you what's going on here. Um, I spend all week getting ready for my message. By Friday, I got most everything down, and I'm working, putting it all together, and then I do my PowerPoint on Friday. And Saturday, pretty much don't do it, and unless I get up Saturday morning, I'll maybe run through it once or Saturday evening. But then I get up early Sunday morning and go through it again, just try to make sure the PowerPoint works like it's supposed to and all that. Well, last night, yesterday evening, I had a message ready. It was called, um, Does Eschatology Matter? And I just was like, I've been getting phone calls and texts. What's going on? What's happening? What? And I just felt like, okay, we need to, I need to try to encourage the people. So what I want to do is go back over a message that we actually did nine months ago, but YouTube took it down. And we found out today they put it back up. I don't know when that happened, but they put it back up. But anyway, <clears throat> I'm going to go over this again um, because I think we need to hear it. I think, you know, we are 10 days away from the presidential inauguration. So how are you feeling about that? Well, let me tell you, I feel really good about it. Because I have every confidence that President Trump will be our president for the next four years. Maybe I'm a fool. But I really believe that's what's going to happen. But if you don't believe that as most people don't, you're either sick to your stomach at the thought of a Biden-Harris presidency, or should say Harris presidency, or you're resting in your faith, knowing that God is in control and His plan is always perfect. You know, last week for the first time, amidst everything that's happening, I actually spent some time contemplating what would it look like in a Biden-Harris presidency. Um, I guess the first thing that bothers me is abortion. That they, you know, they'll just promote that and push that. They plan on packing the court, which means they'll add a whole lot more justices. They can put a whole lot of liberals on there and they can control the court. Um, They love killing babies up to the time of their born, even after they're born. All right? Um, So... They want to take our guns away. There's, there's no hiding that. They, you know, because with all the guns we have, they can't really carry out their plan. So they have to disarm us first. The reason that really scares me is because the way people have just been following along with everything the government tells us, put your masks on. We put our masks on. Any science behind this? Don't worry about science. Just do what you're told. Follow along. Close your businesses. Shut down this. Don't visit your family. Whatever. It's just a bunch of nonsense, people. (coughs) Excuse me. But people have been following along. They've been been going along with it. So it scares me. So when they say, we've got to take your guns away. Oh, well, okay. People will be lining up and giving them their guns. Biden has said that, yeah, I'm going (laughs) to... They can take the barrel first. (laughs) That's the rebel in me. I can't help it. (laughs) Biden has said that one of the first things he'll do on day one is get the military to start knocking down the wall. 
He has pledged to make, he says, 11 million immigrants, but there are 20 million. He's going to make them citizens right away. They're going to jump back right into full climate change regulations, which means businesses will be destroyed in this country. Half our Congress, maybe I'm being generous there, is owned right now by China. I mean, I think that's been made clear, all right? China owns these politicians. And it hasn't been a secret that they hate the church, they hate Christianity. I mean, the censorship that is going on right now, and it's just starting. Parlor app was started so we could have free speech. Well, iTunes is doing, a, or Apple is doing an update to remove it from their phones. Uh, Google is shutting it down. They don't want us talking. If that doesn't scare you to death, something's wrong. Why don't they want us communicating? I mean, we could go on and on what it would look like in that presidency. I, I, you know, Biden's not going to be in there long if he ever got in there. Harris is there to take over, you know, and she is the most liberal senator we have. Right now, as it stands, if things didn't change, they have the House, they have the Senate. The Senate's 50-50, but Kamala Harris breaks the tie. They have the presidency, so they do whatever they want to do. And, you know, people foolishly say, and I'm being kind here. Well, Trump can come back in 2024. If they stole the election this year, do you think we'll ever have a fair election again? You think? I mean, with all the evidence out there that they stole it, people are just like, oh, oh no, we don't see any evidence. Where do you see this evidence? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Okay? But it doesn't seem to matter. All right? <clears throat> um, but... Again, I don't believe it will happen, but if it does, I want you to know that God's still on the throne. He's, you know, I remember when Clinton was president. I, I was, I went out the morning and I pick up the paper and I'm just like, oh, I'm distraught. And Lindsay was like three or four years old at the time, and she comes out and she goes, Dad, what's wrong? God sets up kings, He takes down kings, you know. And I'm like, go in your room. <laughs> Let me grieve over this, you know. Uh, I think this would, I think this presidency would make the Clinton era look like a, a walk in the park, you know. But as I said, I don't believe it will happen. And one of the reasons I don't is on April 10th, 2020, President Trump became the most powerful president in U.S. history. All 50 states and territories have issued a state of emergency. And during this unique national emergency, the authority of the president is unquestionable plenary. He can do whatever he wants. He can even suspend the government. Keep that in mind. And he still has that authority. It hasn't changed. I believe in the next 10 days, we're going to see some mind-blowing stuff. You're going to see arrests. You're going to see information. You're going to find out things that just make your head spin, that you're going to say, I can't believe our government is that corrupt. I won't say that. Okay? <clears throat> you know, uh, the election people was stolen. And those who certified that stolen election have committed treason. The evidence is overwhelming. So, you know, and it, just the hypocrisy, people, of what happened on Wednesday... You know, a few people got into the Capitol building, which is such a joke. One of the most secure buildings in this country. They just waltzed right in. Well, there's videos of the cops escorting them in. 
There's plenty of people putting testimony up. The cops invited us and they walked us right through for a photo op. Yeah, but Antifa was there. They took pictures. They did things. Um, it, It just, the whole thing was a joke. All right. Just to try to stir up trouble. And what really got me is they're like, they're violating these sacred halls. And I'm like, that Capitol building is the biggest cesspool around here. And the people who work there are some of the biggest criminals in the country. It's organized crime is what it is. And I'm sorry if you don't agree with that, but I think you maybe will in the next 10 days as evidence comes out and and things begin to happen. But if I'm wrong, and this doesn't happen, Biden becomes president, I'm still just as confident in my God and the kingdom of God. It's not going to be rocked. Now listen, if it does happen, our life in the kingdom here on earth will be affected greatly. But the kingdom hasn't, is not going to affect that. It's not going to affect our salvation. And someday we're going to get out of here, uh, you know, and move on. And if God Almighty would see to change that, He could. But apart from that, that it'll be a one-party system from here on out. But I want you to, what I want to do this morning is just to encourage us, to remind us that God reigns, as we sang this morning, that His will will be done and His plan will be carried out. You know, men plan and God laughs because He's got a plan and He's going to carry His plan out. <clears throat> Look at Ephesians. Ephesians 1.11 says this, In Him... We have obtained an inheritance, speaking of Christ, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. In other words, the counsel of His will, He made a plan. He's working everything according to that plan that He laid out. Acts 2.23 says, This Yeshua delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. What is that verse saying? It's saying that the crucifixion of Christ was the plan of God. Plan here means will or design. Definite here is from the Greek word horizo, which means decreed, determined, appointed. It comes from a word that means to mark out with a boundary. In other words, God set it down in order, marked it out, and He said, this is my will. Yeshua, my son, will die on Passover by crucifixion. It happened. The very day, the very time that God said it would. Yahweh's plan is not just about death and resurrection of His Son. His plan involves everything that happens. He is working His plan, and we need to learn to trust the plan. You say, how do we know what the plan is? You'll see it when the day's over, because that day, whatever happened, that was His plan. Okay? And trusting in Yahweh's sovereign plan is easy when life is good. I understand that. Okay? And your world is happy, and your world is secure. That's fine. But when, you know, all of a sudden this virus, whatever you want to call it, invades our country and the media throws us into panic and the governor shut things down and make things miserable. They become a Gestapo. We realize that we live in an insecure world. But this shouldn't cause us fear if we realize that God created us insecure and placed us in an insecure world so we'd find our security only in Him. 
What peace and joy it brings to trust in God in the midst of our insecurity. Trusting God is the very essence of what Christianity is all about. It's one, in one of the great statements of the Bible, we just looked at this a couple weeks ago, in Hebrews eleven six. 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. There's no way our relationship with God can be pleasing to Him unless we trust Him. That's what He wants from us. He wants our trust. Apart from faith... We can't please Him at all. And that's what the text says. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him at all. You know, a really basic and simple fact of life is this. All our valuable relationships in life are built on trust. Every one of them. When a husband and wife stop trusting each other, they may continue to be married, but they no longer have a happy marriage. When two friends stop trusting each other, they may continue to see each other, but they no longer really have a true friendship. If that's true in our human relationships, how much truer in our relationship with God? And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. This is an axiomatic truth. And the author uses an aorist tense in the infinitive to please. The statement is universal and its application is timeless. The idea is without faith, it's impossible to please Him at all. He wants our trust. And the author of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrew Christians who are suffering great persecution from the hand of their Jewish brothers. They're discouraged. They're on the verge of turning away from Christianity and going back to Judaism. And so he's exhorting them to endurance in their Christian lives. And in 1035 and 36, he says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. In the midst of trials and persecution, a person's faith may waver. Or they may even turn from the faith. If we understand that this letter of Hebrews is a call to go on believing in the truths of Christianity, then chapter 11 makes a lot of sense. It's not an explanation of how to be saved. It's rather a call to perseverance in the faith, whatever the odds. And Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith. It's all about men of faith and women of faith. It gives us many examples of men and women who had grown strong in their faith, and because of their faith, they lived victorious lives. In verse 32 through 35 of chapter 11, we see the victories of faith. Believers overcome every imaginable type of adversity through faith. Samson defeated a thousand men. Just think about that for a moment. Okay, let's just say they all lined up and let him just kill him as he walked by. How wore out would you be just killing a thousand people with a jawbone of an ass? Okay, that, that kind of wear you out. David killed Goliath. This young teenage boy goes out there in the midst. All Israel's hiding and he goes out there and slays this giant. All because they trusted God. And the dominant thought in all these examples is triumph over adversity. Victory and accomplishment in spite of trial. This is one of the great sides to the experience of faith, but there is another. And in verses 35b through 38, it gives us the other side of the picture. Look at this text, verse 33 through 35. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice. I'd like to enforce justice. Obtained promise. 
stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured. What, what happened? Wait a minute. What just happened? We're talking about the victories of faith and all of a sudden throw, some were tortured? This rapid transition to the thought of unrelieved suffering is very effective in this text. Faith is not always rewarded in this life. In my opinion, this is an even greater manifestation of the power of faith. Faith's power enables those who suffer what otherwise they could not have suffered. Here's a group of people that didn't gain great victories on the battlefield. They didn't perform great feats for God. But in my opinion, these are the real heroes. They trusted God when the day was dark, when the night was long, when the suffering was great, when there was no deliverance for them at all. They were tortured. We should be people who live by faith every day and in every way. We should be trusting God in our daily lives. What are we? Do we really trust Him? Trusting God is of major importance in the Christian life. Because God was angry with and He judged the Israelites because they wouldn't trust Him. Look at the scripture that was read, Psalm 78, 13. He divided the sea, let them pass through it, made the water stand like a heap. In the daytime, He led them with a cloud, And all night with a fiery light. Think of what they saw. Israelites walking through the dry land. Here's this pillar of fire leading you by night. A cloud by day. It's like God's there right there. Follow me. They didn't move unless the cloud moved. Okay, that's simple, right? He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow like rivers. This is talking about in the desert. Moses smacks a rock. You ever seen water pour out of a rock like that? And they just, I mean, there's millions of them. And they have plenty to drink. Yet, they sinned still more against Him. All they saw, and it just, it wasn't enough, people. Rebelling against the Most High in the desert, they tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? You just saw Him provide for you. You walked across there on dry ground. He's given you water. Why are you questioning? He struck the rock and water gushed out. Streams overflowed. Can He also give bread or provide meat for His people? Therefore, when Yahweh heard, He was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God. They didn't trust in His power. We need to learn to trust God because faith pleases Him. And we need to trust Him because life is uncertain. You're all feeling the uncertainty right now of life. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to this country? Nobody knows what tomorrow holds. I mean, you might feel good about your financial security. I guarantee you, if Biden got in, you know what happened to the markets? They would crash so hard. All Trump has to do is say something and they jump, okay? Well, how secure are you if you're trusting in your money? You know, the stock market, that could crash any time. You could lose your job. You could lose your health. Who knows what tomorrow holds? 
Your husband or wife could leave you. Tomorrow a loved one could be diagnosed with cancer. You could be robbed or killed tomorrow. A hurricane could destroy your house, kill your family. We don't have guarantees. Life can be very difficult. Very difficult at times. And we do a lot to forget to protect ourselves against uncertainties by purchasing insurance. But there's some things you just can't insure against, okay? You just can't. What if the meat you bought at the store is contaminated? Your food could kill you. Most of the food you eat will kill you, okay? Well, you say, I'm good, I'm a meat eater. E. coli. (laughs) You can eat all the salad you want and end up with E. coli, all right? With the uncertainty in life, how do we keep from living in fear? Well, David gives us the answer. Psalm 9, verse 10. He says, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Yahweh, have not forsaken those who seek you. Those who know your name. We've talked about this a lot, and hopefully you understand by now the idea of Hebrew. A name means what? Character. It's referring to his character. Those who know God's character... If you know him, I guess you could trust him, right? To know his character is to be able to trust him. Now, do you know God well enough to trust him? You know, there are some people that I know, and I trust them completely. One of them is my wife. Trust her absolutely. And that's important. But do we know Yahweh well enough to have confidence in him, that you believe and trust in him no matter what you're going through, no matter if you see no evidence? Do you trust him? He wants our trust. And in order to trust God, we have to view our circumstances, all of our circumstances, through the eyes of faith, because faith pleases God. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of Yahweh, our God. What the psalmist is trying to say is that we're not to trust in our own strength, we're to trust in God. We're able to trust Him when we know His name, when we understand His character. Isaiah 50.10 Who among you fears Yahweh and obeys the voice of His servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of Yahweh and rely on His God. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light. It it, It may get pretty dark around here in the next 10 days. We need to trust in the name of Yahweh. We need to rely on Him. Isaiah exhorted the servants to walk by faith, trusting in Yahweh, trusting His character. You know, and as we read through Scripture and we see the names of God, we understand that these names reveal His character. That's why God is known by so many names in the Tanakh. Each of those names reveals an aspect of His character and the benefit of what that is for us as believers. So let me share with you just some of the compound names of Yahweh that reveals something of His character and His work on our behalf. Yahweh Ra'ah. Anybody know what that means? It's found in Psalm 23.1. My shepherd. Okay? Like a shepherd, the Lord gently leads. He cares for His people, the sheep of His pasture. What's interesting is this name is also found in Genesis 22.14. Okay, when Abraham and Isaac 
He's, he's offering up his son and he's heading up the mountain to offer his son as a sacrifice. And Isaac says, hey, Dad, uh, got the wood, got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And his dad said, Yahweh Ra'ah. Yahweh will provide. Yahweh will provide. He's going to provide all we need at the point of that need. And we have to trust Him because He will take care of us. He is our shepherd. And He's a loving shepherd. A caring shepherd. Yahweh Nis. Exodus 17, 15. It means Yahweh is my banner. In other words, He's the standard under which we rally as the people of God. He is our rallying point. Okay? I mean, there's a lot of people rallying under the banner of Trump, okay? And I really don't have a problem with that. I think that's okay. But listen, you want something to really trust in? Rally under the banner of Yahweh as our God. He is our rallying point. Yahweh Rapha. What's that mean? Okay, Yahweh heals. And He heals in every way. It's not just physical, not just emotional, not just spiritual. It's all those. He is a healer. Yahweh Sham. Anybody got that one? This is a cool one. I like this one. It means Yahweh is there. He's where? Yeah, He's there. Wherever. He's there. He is there. That is, that is, listen, God is there when you need Him. Okay? He's there. There's no place where He's not. Especially if you're there, He's there because He lives in you. You are sacred space. Okay? Yahweh Shalom. I'm sure you all know this one, right? Yahweh is our peace. Through Him we find true inner peace, which is even in the midst of the storms there's peace, because Yahweh is peace. Yahweh Sidkenu. This is one of my favorites. Anybody know it? Yahweh is our righteousness. Oh, man. That's it, people. That's why we can stand before God, because Yahweh is our righteousness. Through Christ, He imparts His righteousness to us. As you can easily see from the meaning of the names of God given here in the Tanakh, each name not only reveals something of His nature and His character, it also reveals something of the provision that God has promised through His name. If we're going to trust God, we need to first know His name, understand His character. And we can only do this As we spend time in Scripture. I know, there I go again, harping on that Scripture reading. (laughs) Listen, people, the more you spend time in Scripture. Last week I was reading Genesis 22 in this passage, you know. Yahweh Ra'ah, God is my provider. And I'm like, you know, when his dad said that, the Lord will provide. God does provide. You know, God will provide the sacrifice is what he was saying. And that's exactly what happened. So that's the only way we're going to come to know His name, people, is spending time in Scripture, not listening to other people, getting in the Word of God ourselves. And since we're talking about the name, let's, we can't do that without going to Exodus 3.14. God said to Moses, Moses said, hey, okay, who am I going to say sent me? I get in there, who, who do I tell him sent me? And God said, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, I am who I am is Ahiah, Asher Ehiah in Hebrew. And it means, I am that which exists. The root of the word Ehiah is Haya. And Haya means to be or to exist. 
So Elohim here tells Moses that his name is Ahiah. Ahiah. All right? So we say, well, Ahiah, I thought his name was Yahweh. All right, well, let's look at the next verse. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh. That's the yod heh in Hebrew. Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus I am to be remembered throughout all the generations. So Elohim again gives his name to Moses, but this time he says it's Yahweh. Now the two names, Yahweh and Ahia, are related. Yahweh is and Ahia is. Ahia means I exist, I will exist, I am. And Yahweh means He exists, He will exist, He is, He is. So both these names are related to each other. They're both conveying the idea that Yahweh is the self-existent one. Not only the self-existent one, it's not only that He is, but He causes to be. And it can be translated that way. He is and He causes to be. That's our God. And as we study the Word of God and learn about His character, we'll grow in our trust for Him. If you really know His character, you'll trust Him as you read through the Scriptures and you see how He takes care of His people, whether it be miraculously or through seemingly natural means. He cares. And even when He chooses to send poverty, sickness, family problems, or even tyranny, even while your heart is aching with each beat, you'll say, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Because you know him. And you can trust him. And when you trust somebody, you don't have to understand everything they're doing and why they're doing it. Because you can rest in the character of what they, who they are. You know, most Christians don't trust God because they don't know Him. The only thing they know about God is something they're hearing from some preacher somewhere who he doesn't know what he's talking about. Okay? Because he doesn't even read or study. So that's why you've got to spend time in the Bible yourself. You're responsible for your knowledge. But most Christians don't know Him. And how can we trust Him? How can we believe His promises if we don't know Him or His promises? You know, here, you hear people say stuff all the time. Well, the Bible says, and I'm like, where in the world does it say that? And they're like, they don't expect that answer because most people wouldn't respond to that because most people don't know because they never read the Bible. I said, I happen to have read the book cover to cover many times. I know what's in there. Where's that at? You know, well, I think we're afraid to challenge people. We just believe whatever they say. You don't have to be mean or ugly. Just say, where does it say that? Watch the deer in the headlight look, you know. My preacher said it says that. <clears throat> As we study the Bible, we learn his character. And we'll grow to trust him. And if we really know God's character, we can trust him when he, like I said, when he does whatever. No matter what he sends. No matter what the situation brings. But we can't know him. We can't trust Him if we don't spend time with Him. If we're going to walk by faith and thus please Him, our thoughts have to be formed and our actions regulated from the Scriptures. Psalm fifty fifteen, And call upon Me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify Me. That's a pretty cool promise, huh? A day of trouble. How about Romans eight twenty eight? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Those who are the called according to His purpose. Who is the one making these promises? 
It's the Almighty God, the Creator of the universe, and every promise of God is backed by His character. His name. Our thinking about the promises can be related to His divine attributes. So when God says He makes a promise, you say, well, people can make promises to me, but and they might have the best intentions, but not be able to carry them out. That's not true with God. <laughs> if He makes a promise, and that is the doctrine of sovereignty. Okay? God is in control of every event that happens in time. Well, he makes a promise. He can make sure it comes to pass because he's sovereign. He's not only sovereign, he's righteous. He's perfect in goodness so that anything that happens to us will be good for us. God is just. And he guarantees that his plan for us will be fair. We'll always be treated justly by God. God is love. We know that in every situation in life is governed by God's love for us. And that's one thing we tend to forget a lot. In a circumstance, things are bad. My life's falling apart. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. And people right away begin to question the love of God. And what I always do is I say, look to Calvary. That's proof of the love. Right there. He died for you. That's all the proof you really need, okay? This is not a health-wealth doctrine that God gives you everything you want and makes you happy and lovely all the rest of your life. Life can be very difficult. God's omniscient. You know what that means? He knows everything. Everything about everything. Everything that could be, everything that would be, everything. He knows it all. He's always present. He's omnipresent. All of God is everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. So that he always has the capability to carry out his promises and provide for help in time of need because he can just do whatever he wants to do. He's immutable. I love that. Because you know how people change? People change. I mean, you're all of a sudden they're friends and now you're not friends. What happened? What, what just happened there? God never gets up on the wrong side of bed, okay? He's immutable. He never changes. He never changes his attitude towards us. All of his characteristics remain the same forever. God is truth. He never lies. So what he has promised, he's going to perform. And the more we know him, the more we can trust in him, the more we trust in him, the more he is pleased. Can you trust in God in the uncertainties of life? You know, knowing God is not just a matter of theology. It's critically important to how we live our lives. Because as we said a couple of weeks ago, all conscious behavior is preceded by and arises out of our thoughts. So what we think is, is very important. And I believe the first and foremost thing we need to know about God is that He's sovereign. And like I said, most people would admit that. They'd say, oh, I believe God is sovereign, but question them, what do they mean by that? And you'll find out it's not what you mean. Okay? Most of the church denies the absolute sovereignty of God. Christians speak about accidents or things just happening by chance. How would you like to live in a world of chance? Phew, that's scary. You're going to have a hard time trusting God in the midst of trials if you don't understand He's controlling everything. Whatever it is we go through, or will go through, we can be sure that a loving Father has a purpose in it. We need to learn to trust Him and trust His plan even when we don't understand. Because faith pleases God. Do you know Him well enough to trust Him no matter what painful or catastrophic situation may be? 
It's a, our faith in God is a very practical commodity. If we understand God's sovereignty, we can trust Him in the midst of the worst possible circumstances. Could our country suffer under the hand of a corrupt presidency? It could. It could. I don't think it will, but it could. And it would be horrible suffering. But whatever we go through, it's under the sovereign hand of God. Now that makes me feel a whole lot better. Okay, when I know God's planning something and purposing something for our good, I don't have to understand it. I think I take the view that he's a little smarter than me. Okay? And that's why, yeah, just a little bit. That's why I don't worry about it. I'm like, you know, well, why is God doing this? I don't know. He doesn't confer with me. But that, that's okay. You know, that's what trust is about. I know. I mean, he's omniscient. Let's just trust him. All right? It just helps us to realize that we're under his sovereign control and not the whim of some madman or woman or crazy people. Those evil men and women in the deep state, they may plan some horrible plans for this country. But apart from the sovereign will of God, they're not going to do anything. He's sovereign over everything and we can trust Him. And our trust in Him will be strengthened in the circumstances that we face if we trust Him in those. Psalm 125.1 says, Those who trust in Yahweh are like Mount Zion which cannot be moved, but abides forever. God, God in His goodness, His love, He always wills what is best for us. In His wisdom, He always knows what is best. and His sovereignty, He has the power to carry about what's best. Trusting God is a matter of your will. You need to choose to trust Him. But if you're going to choose to trust Him, you first have to know Him. And once we have a knowledge of God, then we can choose to believe to trust Him. And again, as we read through the Bible, we watch Him work and we watch Him deal with His people and how He responds to them and how He cares for them. You can trust in God even when your feelings are causing you a lot of anxiety and grief. You know, I love the verse that He that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. You know why I like that? I can go to bed because He's up taking care of things. I don't have to worry about it. He's always awake. He's all, you know, you don't catch Him you know, like the prophets of Baal. Wake them up. They might be taking a nap. No. God doesn't do that. Okay? Psalm 61, 1-4 says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer from the end of the earth. I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Have you ever prayed, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief? That's pretty biblical, people. Okay? And I've done that a lot. Lord, I believe, but help me. Believe in this situation. Help me trust you, you know. And, and then I start going over my theology and God pulls it, pulls me together. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. You know, David found comfort in the character of his Lord. And so will you. Get to know your God by spending time with Him. And as you grow to know Him, you'll grow to trust Him. You know, but sometimes our faith can waver. I mean, look at what happened to David, the giant killer. The one who knew God was on his side. We see here in Samuel a different David. It's a David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. 
And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and he was much afraid of Achish. This is the giant killer. Okay, now he's afraid of a king. So David changed his behavior before that and pretended to be insane. <laughs> this is hard for me to picture David in this situation. In their hands, he made, he made marks on the doors of the gate and let spittle run down his beard. So he's scribbling on the wall and just drooling all over himself. And they're looking at him like, Whoa, this is David? Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him here to me? I love this. Do I lack madmen? Did I need another crazy person in this kingdom? That you have brought this fellow to me as a madman in my presence. Shall this fellow come into my house? This is David, the giant killer. What happened to him? Well, fear is controlling. This can happen to any one of us. You know, he's just filled with anxiety. So instead of calling out to God, he tries to handle himself and he acts like he's lost his mind. Well, his ploy worked. The king sent him away, but he's still afraid and he's running from Saul. And David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Dullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard him, they went down there to him. So here David is, he's sitting in the cave of Dullam and he starts to think about what an idiot he has just been. Do you think that God could have delivered him from Achish? Did he think so? If he thought about it theologically, he probably could have figured that out. But he's focusing more on the problem and not his God. You know, we went out to Goliath. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that replied to the armies of the living God? You know, God, you know, help me kill a bear. Help me kill a lion. I'll take on this guy. No problem. But he's just, and it happens to all of us people. It happens to all of us. In Psalm 57, which was written from this cave, David begins to put his theology back together. It says, A mictam of David, when he fled from Saul into the cave, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. In you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storm of destruction passes by. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fills His purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put on shame. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit for my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah, my heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Yahweh. He says, my heart is steadfast. It's steadfast. Among the peoples I will sing praises to you among the nations for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, 
Let your glory be over all the earth. So David begins to focus on God in the cave and his strength and his stability return. He'd forgotten that God was on his side. Have you ever done that? Your theology works good on Sunday. But during the week, you hit the wall and it just kind of falls apart, right? I've been there. I remember one time very well, actually it was about preterism, okay? I had just resigned the church and I was like 43 years old. I'm like, what do I do with my life? You know, um, <laughs> if I can't preach, I'm ashamed to beg. You know, as the man said, what, what do I do here? Where do I go on? And I remember being under my house working on it and just going over my theology under the house. And I came out from under that house a different person than I went in because I just focused on God. And I'm like, I've been preaching sovereignty, you know, for so many years. And and like, if I don't believe it, then this is all a waste. And I got to just trust God. Whatever happens, happens. And I stopped scribbling on the wall and stopped drooling on myself and got going. But it took work. I had to think and Focus on who God was. Why would I worry? Why would I fear when I know God's sovereign and I know He loves me? You know, looking back now, I'm like, what an idiot you were. Look at what God's done. But you can't, you know, and hindsight's 2020, okay, but in the midst of it, you know, it gets kind of, it gets kind of difficult. Well, we just, we see the same idea in Habakkuk of fear turned to faith when we focus on God. See, the thing we can learn from Habakkuk is that a mind fixed on God can turn doubts into devotion and all confusion into confidence. So in Habakkuk, in the first four verses of Habakkuk, he's crying out to Yahweh because there's so much evil and corruption in Judah, and he's sick of it. The oracle of Habakkuk, the prophet, Oh, Yahweh, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence. And you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at the wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed. Justice does not go forth. Boy, do you feel like that right now? The law is paralyzed. Justice is not going forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Whoa, I read that and I'm thinking, holy mackerel, that's, I'm seeing that, all right? Habakkuk's saying, Yahweh, why don't you do something? I'm saying that same thing. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why do you allow evil to go on? Very pertinent to today, to now. Well, in verses 5 through 11, <laughs> we have God's disclosure. The change of speakers is apparent from the verbs. Look and watch in Hebrew include the plural you. So God speaks and He says, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I'm going to do a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Uh Uh-oh. There's a wicked, fierce warrior people. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of earth to seize dwellings not their own. They're dreaded. And fearsome, their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on, their horsemen come from afar, they fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. 
At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. They sweep like the wind and go on guilty men whose own might is their God. The Babylonians were known for piling up dirt at a city. They just kept piling up dirt until they had a wall and went right in. They were a fierce people. They had no mercy. Now Habakkuk has a worse problem. (laughs) Okay? How could God use such an evil nation to punish Judah? He's kind of traumatized by what God tells him. Listen to what he says in 3.16. He goes, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. He's so upset he couldn't be hospitalized. What's he going to do? He stands a shaken prophet and his problems are real. We're about to be invaded by the Chaldeans. They're going to destroy us. They're wiping out our nation. This is serious stuff. In verse 12 of chapter 1, he starts to remind himself about God. Are you not from everlasting, O Yahweh, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Yahweh. You have ordained them as judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. So he's developing his own catechism here, you know, teaching by oral repetition. And he used the question and answer format. Are you not from everlasting? That requires an affirmative reply. God, you're eternal. In other words, you're bigger than history. Your plan's always good. Oh, Lord, my God, Yahweh, the eternal I am, the self-existent God who is uninfluenced. My Holy One, he says, you make no mistakes. So again, he starts going over his theology just like David did, and he feels better. Habakkuk 1.13 You who are pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent? when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You are holy and you got to deal with sin. We deserve this. God, you're eternal. You're self-existent. We're not going to die. You're not going to destroy us. You're disciplining us. God is sovereign and He is in control. So again, Habakkuk is working on his theology, saying everything I know about God tells me to stop worrying because He's in control. Habakkuk 2.4 Behold, the soul is puffed up, it's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. There's the principle, people. We're to live by faith. We're to trust God. I mean, he, he's telling Habakkuk, there's a nation coming in, a fierce nation. They're going to destroy you. You're talking about how bad it is. I'm taking care of it. You're not going to like it. And in chapter 3, he outlines the worst possible situation. Okay? In other words, this would be what the Biden administration would be like. Okay, the worst possible thing you can think of. All right. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive olive fail, the fields, no food, the flocks cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls. In other words, it's financial collapse. Everything is destroyed. You got nothing. You got no food. You got nothing. It's all wiped out. And he says, yet, I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will take joy and the God of my salvation. And Habakkuk is saying here, no matter how bad my circumstances get, I'm going to rejoice in God. God is faithful and I trust Him. This is a stable man and his stability is related to his view of God. I will rejoice in God. He's not rejoicing in the circumstances. He's rejoicing in the God who's over the circumstances. So the key to a stable life is resting on a confident faith in the Lord which comes from knowing His Word. 
We have to rest in who He is, people. He's sovereign. He loves us. I'm not going to worry. The great weakness of the church today, I think, is really a lack of understanding of who God is and how He acts. You hear things today that are so far from biblical, it isn't funny. It's caused by the church's instability is caused by a weak view of God. And the solution to our instability is not a psychologist. We don't need a counselor. We don't need a self-help book. Our solution is theology proper. A study of God. We need to come to know the God of the Bible. If we're going to stand fist in the midst of conflict and adversity, we must have faith. Remember, worry betrays a lack of trust in God's care, and it's really an unconscious blasphemy. I just don't trust you. When we know God is in an intimate way, we trust Him in every situation. And as we trust Him, we have stability in our lives. You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So where's your focus here? Because He trusts in you. Trust in Yahweh forever. For Yah, Yahweh is an everlasting rock. He trusts in you. Now the combination here, Yah, Yahweh, is only seen here in Isaiah 12 too. And it can be rendered, for in Yah is Yahweh, the rock of ages. What's that saying? Well, Yahweh the Son is in Yahweh the Father. John 10, 38. In Yah, Yahweh. In Yah is Yahweh, the rock of ages. Believer, we can have peace in any situation if we trust Yahweh. We see that all through the Bible. We see people dealing with horrible circumstances and they just trust. He has a plan. I don't know what it is. I'm hoping his plan is what I think it is. All right? And Trump's going to take office, keep office. We got another four years. But it might not be. God's plan. But whatever it is, I'm trusting Him because He is going to give us what is best for us, what He wants us to have. He's a perfect Father, okay? He's not like earthly fathers who, you know, just spoil kids because they won't shut up. He gives us what we need, not what we want. Trust Him. He's worthy of our trust. And I'll tell you, Again, it's so easy to trust God when everything is the way we want it to be and it's wonderful and we're happy. And, but when the world seems to be falling apart, it's a different situation. But that's when it really counts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity just to review this again, Lord, to, to put our focus on you. Father, I really believe that you're going to do some wonderful things for our country in the next four years. But if it's not so, you're unchanged. I'm still going to love you. I'm going to need to trust you even more. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. Thank you for the fact that no matter what happens in this world, someday we're going to leave it spend eternity with you. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Amen.